fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody. I'm Caitlin. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News, and then talk about Christian oppression <laughs> with my friend Caitlin. Great. How are you, Caitlin? <laughs> Doing well. How are you? I'm, uh, I'm all right. I, I did want to say I happened to go on Sandy and Nora's podcast recently, and they did like a a live Q&A podcast, and I got to ask a question. So I know uh, some people who listen to this show probably listen to Sandy Nora. So if you check out their part two of their listener Q&A, you can hear me ask a question. But for now, it is technically the beginning of the month. We've now fully caught up to our show. And that means we have a patron shout out. We would like to thank Shy. I hope I said that right. Who is a member of the media party. Yeah, that is literally the definition of a media party. We would also like to thank Richard, Durka, Darren, Sarah, Ryan, and Tim. You are the Laurentian elite of the Imperial News Podcast. You're talking about the Laurentian elites? Folding from Laurentian elites. Canada's Laurentian elite. We would also like to thank Piano, Nicholas, and Michael, our form-funded environmentalists. What's your message to world leaders today? Uh, my message is that we'll be watching you. How dare you! Lastly, we'd like to thank our ultimate patrons, Nate and Ken, for being less annoying than Joel Pollock's cell phone. And had to basically start from scratch. Start from scratch. And that's crazy. Start from scratch. Testosterone flowing. Start from scratch. And that's crazy. crazy. Homeless people in LA have smartphones. Thank you all so much for your support. You can donate to us at patreon.com slash imperial news. Now the imperial roundup. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. This is what happened on The Rebel from November 30th to December 4th. Bill Gates has come out in support of the COVID vaccine. And Ezra doesn't trust him because he was once friends with Jeffrey Epstein. You're going to jab them all with a vaccine that was only invented a few months ago that hasn't been tested on any kids or any nursing moms yet. And you call this public health. Oh, you bet. Jeffrey Epstein's buddy says that's ethical. And Jeffrey Epstein's buddy knows a lot about morality, doesn't he? Ezra then clips Bill Gates talking about amping up the vaccine for seniors, suggesting that Bill Gates is trying to make sure this vaccine kills off old people. He wants to really amp it up for seniors, give them a big dose of it. This guy is not a doctor, let me remind you. But his advice is to really amp up doses of the vaccine to seniors. It is sad that Ezra is using the potential death of old people from a vaccine as a reason why not to get vaccinated against a virus that is disproportionately killing off old people. Not that there is any evidence that the vaccine actually will be worse for old people, but it doesn't stop Ezra from convincing his audience that the vaccine likely won't be safe. Ezra maintains he is still pro-vaccination. He just thinks that 
the fact that Bill Gates is in support of it means that this vaccine won't be safe. Every anti-vaxxer is pro-safe vaccine. They just deny the safety of most vaccines, and that is why they're all anti-vaxxers. And now Ezra is joining their ranks. Ezra recaps on some of his fondest talking points this week. He reminds us of Australia's No Jab, No Pay, fear-mongers about apps that will track people who don't get vaccinated, and how Teresa and Tam discusses lockdowns in a documentary that happened years ago. Ezra also plays his greatest hits all week. Specifically, he plays a clip of an Ontario official stating that tests give 50% false positives. He also plays the clip of Jane Fonda saying COVID is God's gift to the left. And lastly, he addresses his conspiracy theory regarding the government request for quarantine facilities document. On that last point, Ezra changes the language of the document by saying the government will use the, these quarantine facilities for other purposes. In reality, that document said other requirements, and the other requirements had to be COVID-related, like storing protective equipment or vaccines. Early in the week, Ezra says that COVID is just as deadly as the flu. If your only tool is a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail. If the entire philosophy of your profession is government control, don't be surprised if the state responds to this particularly bad flu season, which is statistically all that COVID is, don't be surprised if the response is perpetual lockdowns, paranoia, and the submissive signal of wearing a useless mask. Are you obedient? Prove it. But later in the week, when addressing a speech made by Eric O'Toole, Ezra admits that COVID is actually more deadly than the flu. I agree it's a tragedy that 12,000 people have died from the virus. That's slightly higher than the normal death toll for the annual flu. It's typically, I don't know, seven, eight, nine thousand deaths. So this is worse and every life is precious. Even though he acknowledges this fact, Ezra is still mad at O'Toole for not opposing the lockdowns or mask mandates or vaccines. According to Ezra, the point of an opposition party is to oppose the government, which for Ezra means to deny the science. O'Toole is critical of how Trudeau has handled the pandemic, but because he isn't questioning the safety of vaccines or telling people not to wear masks, Ezra thinks that O'Toole is weak. The only thing Ezra liked about O'Toole's speech is when he was talking about austerity. Does the Conservative Party of Canada have any fundamental objection to the Trudeau Liberals approach? Sure, they want to spend less money, and, and let's give them that, that's important. And that is the week. For those who listened to our last episode, this was another short week in terms of news items. And I wonder if part of this is because it's the end of the year. So, for example, Thursday and Friday's show are pretty much just clip shows. Uh, <laughs> we, we will be addressing one of those clips here because what else are we going to talk about? But also it was like, you know, I don't need to hear a rundown of all your past stories constantly. But this is what this week ended up being. Last week's episode, we primarily uh, centered around the Adam Skelly and his barbecue rebellion. And he's going to come up again this week. But they seem to shift from the barbecue situation. And, uh, and I'm not sure like how much you, uh, <laughs> you know about the barbecue thing, Caitlin. But it was pretty much uh, mainstream news for all of last week. Yeah, I've heard all of it. But now they've moved from barbecues and they're talking about churches now. And so one of the clips that Ezra played on his clip show was a clip of Sheila Gunn-Reed. And Sheila Gunn-Reed is in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan to do a piece on a church that was fined $14,000. Have you heard about this story? 
Nope. So this church, as so, part of me wants to say to Sheila's credit, she reads a CBC article that lists some of the important things about it that were negative that this church did. And the most egregious thing that she sort of like glazes over is that an outbreak came from this church, but she goes into none of the details what this means that an outbreak came from this came from this church. A Prince Albert Saskatchewan church was fined $14,000 after a multi-day event caused an outbreak of the novel coronavirus. A traveling evangelist spoke at the full gospel outreach for several days. So I will say, at least at the beginning of her story, she does make that known. However, from there, it like just falls off the cliff, right? <laughs> she frames this as this church being fined $14,000 for simply singing in church. In early October, an inner city Prince Albert Saskatchewan church was given a five-figure COVID-19 fine by the province of Saskatchewan for singing in their church without masks on. How should you sing in a church during a global pandemic? I don't think you should be singing in a church. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually my my thoughts on that. But but here's <laughs> can't get over how good that is. The thing is, it wasn't like yes, there should be absolutely one hundred percent no singing in churches right now. But if you're going to sing, wouldn't it be better if you were wearing masks? And if you're going to sing, wouldn't it be better if you were socially distanced? And if you're going to sing, wouldn't it be better if it was like outdoors or in a place with good ventilation? I was just going to say, why didn't they just take it outdoors? No. So what they ended up doing was they had a traveling evangelist evangelist come to their uh, church. They advertised this to people, especially in the north. So a lot of people uh, came down from uh, some of the reservations in northern Saskatchewan to attend this. They then all came into the room without their masks on side by side in a small room. Uh, and there was over a hundred of them in the building. And that is why they're being fined for $14,000. <laughs> and then you also said that there's an outbreak too because of it. Yes. So what Sheila does not mention is that there was 25 cases that were linked to this church singing. They also, like Sheila disparages the fact that the complaint came from an indigenous chief. And so even though you were holding... Uh, church here and, and doing your best to social distance and follow the rules. Um, you still came under fire from Prince Albert Mayor Greg Dion and the chief of Peter Ballantyne First Nation, Peter Beatty. They called on the province to fine you. One of the reasons why this Indigenous chief was so upset was that a lot of these people got infected at this church, ended up bringing the virus back home to them where they don't have the medical care to treat these people. Mm. There's just layers of improper treatment here, so like warranting a $14,000 fine. Sheila does give him room to try to explain himself for why this was okay for him to do. And he, he initially claims that people were wearing masks, but there's a clear photo evidence that like not a single person in this building was wearing a mask. And we provided masks and we provided hand sanitizer. He does argue that people were given masks. So I guess his his reaction to this is like, well, we gave them the masks. It's not our fault that no one complied. Then he addresses the whole social distancing fact. The problem with with you know social distancing in a church is that is that you know a group of people come in and you're assuming they drove together that they're family, 
uh, that they're kind of a, what they call a pod or whatever. And so they want to sit together. So you can't just put chairs, you know, uh, you know, like six feet apart because, because they're actually people, people are allowed to sit together. Families are allowed to sit together. And there might be some truth to this. But there's also an issue of just like socially signaling where if like you start allowing some groups to sit together, it kind of like ruins the whole thing, you know? Yeah. But then he also says. Put chairs out kind of, but you know, you want to include them, eh? You don't want to put chairs, okay, all the street people have to sit in the back here, you know, and sorry, but you know, just government regulation, you know, and uh, you know, like that. How do you, how do you do that? You, you know, know, that's a really great point. His last excuse is the most reprehensible thing i have ever heard but the street people are probably the the hardest to manage um you know like if you're used to not washing your hands more than once a day or once a week or something you know i don't know what the situation is then then hand sanitizer like you know like you know like they, they just you know so how do you enforce that right so so what they will will never like i don't understand that this is a church that's supposed to, I mean, his main claim to fame is running a sort of like homeless shelter that many people in the city have complained about. Yeah. Mainly because of how it's been maintained. And I don't know enough to go on the ins and outs, but I'll just say that that is in the sort of like picture here. And this tells me that he has a very low opinion of homeless people to think that somehow, like even if, even if someone has never washed their hands in their entire life, that you couldn't in a mere few seconds teach them how to rub hand sanitizer on their hands? Yeah. Like that is so fucked up and degrading. And to finish up with the story, he complains that the initial case that got brought into his church was because one of the people who was infected that attended the church singing came from a casino. How did... Uh, the outbreak sort of come to light. I know it was initially well, just a handful of cases that were attributed. That I know of that was she worked at the casino. Uh, she got tested positive, and so that was the first one that I know of. Oh, so the casino. Yeah. It, yeah so the, the casino. So maybe it came from the casino. Eh? Is the casino still open? Yeah. Uh, so the, the church is closed, but the casino is yeah. open. Yeah. Oh, okay. And this is a really stupid argument because. The church was allowed to be open. The problem is you had to obey the social distancing rules. And just because someone was infected and happened to be at a casino doesn't mean that they picked it up from the casino and doesn't mean that the casino wasn't obeying proper regulations in terms of social distancing, wearing masks, and getting people to use hand sanitizer. Yeah. And then finally he said... Again, it's just, you know, to where it came from. Yeah, like it, you know, it came from somewhere, right? It came from China. China. <laughs> <laughs> so let's blame the Chinese again, right? We should be. That's what, you know, and if we're really all in, in this all together, then that's probably, you know, like should should there even be tickets? You know, like let's let's try to get some money out of China. Oh my gosh! Checkmate. <laughs> oh, I'm so done. This virus. <laughs> that that was like my feeling throughout this whole fucking story is like for one the persecution complex that oh my god they're just coming out of they're coming after poor churches 
we've known about all this stuff for so long and these regulations are in place for a reason. And no one said that we're closing your churches. They're just asking you to do it in a way that isn't going to kill people. Yeah. And they still resist that. They're being fined $14,000 and Rebel has decided to take up their case. So you weren't on the show for last episode, but Rebel has decided to put forward this plan to uh, pay for the legal fees of over a thousand cases in what they're calling fight the fines cases. And so they're going to help this church out legally. And I will say that even though this church has agreed to do it, Adam Skelly, who's the barbecue person, declined Rebel's help. And so did this other place called Noble Toys. So other people are like denying their help, but their churches seem to be the one that like Rebel is getting the most traction with. And so now I feel like they're running up the, uh, the people are attacking the Christian religion angle. Yeah. They also have this wonderful thing and you, you will recognize this tactic because they used it as well during the, uh, the Hutterite farm where the vegan activists took over one of the, the turkey farms. Okay. And Ezra's line was always like, these Hutterites, they're just, they're too pacifist. And therefore, like, they're so helpless to these vegan activists. <laughs> Which is why they need the rebel to come in and fight for them, right? Yeah. It's easier to challenge Christians who are called to turn the other cheek. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, how generous of them. <laughs> And so they make the same argument argument here, which is that these Christians are just too polite. And then if it wasn't for the rebel coming in there to fight these fines for them, they would have just rolled over and taken it because they're all turned the other cheek and so peaceful. <laughs> so kind of them. It's one of those things where like, I'm not going to say that all religion is bad, but far right Christian religion has done a lot of danger and, and action. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, I look at what's going on in the United States right now. Like the, the far right Christian church is doing so much damage, especially in the courts. Or just even like the years of like Christ, right leaning Christian groups trying to like block women's reproductive rights. <laughs> or how many Christians have you seen even just like parked outside Victoria Hospital trying to intimidate girls who are going in for like Maybe an abortion, but maybe other things regarding their reproductive health. How many Christians have strapped bombs to their chest and blown up abortion clinics? Yeah, that's true. Like, they, though, I wouldn't say that those people are representative of Christianity as a whole. But the fact is, like, there are tons of Christians and tons of Christian organizations that are totally cool with being violent revolutionaries for their causes. Yeah. I mean, most of the malicious groups in the, in the United States as well are very far-right Christian organizations. There's an interesting precedent that's being set right now in the American courts, and we vaguely talked about it on the show, I think, last week as well, where there was a case recently that went up to the Supreme Court that ruled that these Jewish synagogues, which are kind of like really uh, not helping the COVID spread in New York City... They fought to remain open, saying that they're being persecuted. And the thing is, like, you know what it really hinges on, which is really depressing? It seems to hinge on the fact that Judge Kavanaugh really objects to the label essential and to say that religion is not essential. Mm -hmm. Because for them, they're like, saving people's souls is essential. And how dare you say it's not essential? Yeah. 
Which is an argument from feeling, because when people say that, like, getting groceries is essential, it means that if you don't eat food, you'll die. Yeah. Which is a lot different than sitting in a church, you know? But you can see that also in the Rebels coverage, because at many points, I think even while Sheila was interviewing this person, she was like, church is essential. And I think you and I would both agree that church is essential. Yeah, <laughs> it's an essential yeah. service. Yeah. It is essential, no matter what they have to say. And they were like very adamant of making it clear that church is essential. And how dare they take away our essential church? And it like it, all it comes down to is they're just it's like they have hurt feelings for being told that they're not essential. Yeah. Where it's like, I wouldn't feel that way. <laughs> but you're also an atheist, so. Yeah, but even like my employment, like <laughs> if I worked at a job where like, I don't know, I was selling buttons. Yeah. I'd be like, okay, my job's not essential right now. <laughs> I wouldn't care. Yeah, but people who are religious see as like a part of fulfillment in life. Yeah, it's way more connected to their identity in a way. Yeah, and could you imagine you're excluding that resource now from someone? It would almost be like having to say preventing people from um, psychological services. You're like in their minds? No, I think in general that people get some sort of life fulfillment. Right. And then also for some people, that's where they get their their life advice and their morals and ethics, community, sense of self, things like that. So I think part of it for me that's really frustrating here is like I could get those arguments if they're made. But then the, the flip side of that is none of those surfaces are being denied to people. I Yeah, no, it's more so like, why are you having in person singing i don't understand that yeah like why did you need a room full of a hundred people non-masks singing at this time you could have done it virtually you could have done it virtually you could have done it with masks outside as i said like there's so many ways they could have done could have done this and so it's like for them to make it seem like it's woe is us we're being dis like disproportionately treated like in the american case like it got brought up at the supreme court which was like there's a reason why rock concerts are not happening right now right it's not like religion is being signaled out yeah it's just that maybe singing right now is not a good thing to do yeah yeah they could have probably like taken out the singing part of church right so they move from this christian stuff uh, for the rest of the week to sort of, again, make this about like the rights victim and persecution complex. And they say some things that are interesting in relation to their views about policing generally. Ezra complains that Adam Skelly, who was the barbecue guy, yeah, he complains that he was put in jail. And he complains about him being put in jail because he wasn't convicted yet. And the argument is, You don't put people in prison until they've been found guilty of a crime. Who has the power to order 100 police, 50 police cars, and four police riot horses to raid a peaceful barbecue restaurant, change its locks, seize the property, seize the owner, and jail him overnight without a trial? I mean, I have many reasons to say why this doesn't make sense. Can you elaborate? (laughs) I mean... If you have someone who's like shooting up people or killing or a serial killer, should they just roam free and continue to kill people? (laughs) Right. If you have a person who's a bank robber, not to say that I really care, 
too much about banks being robbed. But, um, <laughs> and they just go around robbing banks, committing thefts. Do you continue to let them commit the thefts in the meantime? Exactly. I mean, there's a level in which, like, I have criticisms about policing and imprisonment generally. But the fact is, tons of people, like all these protesters, that all these Black Lives Matter protesters got all rounded up at these protests and thrown into prisons, unmarked vans even, at one point in the United States. And not a peep from Ezra. This was all justified because, God forbid, somebody's walking on a street late at night. Yeah, They can be locked out without due process, even though none of them were convicted. And a lot of their cases have been like overturned and tossed out. Yet, for the love of God, the police threw Adam Skelly in a jail because he clearly violated the health mandates from uh, Toronto's municipality. Yeah. And he was, like, adamant about it, too. He, like, was rubbing it in the faces of people that he was going to do this, whether you like it whether you like it or not. And that's the thing. Like, that's... I've been in many protests where there is an awareness that arrest is a possibility. Yeah. And you do it anyways, knowing that that's going to happen. I mean, hell, even Martin Luther King, in his letters from a Birmingham jail, acknowledges that I know I'm breaking the law, but I think it's an unjust law and therefore needs to be broken. So he doesn't actually complain about the fact that he's in jail right now writing the letters. Because he thinks that him being in jail highlights the, like... uh, the hypocrisy or it highlights the injustice where it's like Adam is doing that. And like, I disagree with Adam's cause 100%, but like for Ezra to complain about it and whine about it. Cause he went to prison as a direct, like direct result of him trying to fight what he perceives as an unjust law yeah, is so childish and stupid. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. The other thing that Ezra is really upset about is that these regulations, these health mandates, are coming from unelected health bureaucrats or public health bureaucrats. I've been going through the provincial legislation. I see nowhere that a public health officer, who's really just a bureaucrat with a medical credential, has the power to direct police to do his or her bidding. Okay. And this, to me, like, also doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's like, yes, the government might turn to health bureaucrats to figure out what's the best way forward and to relieve some decision-making powers to them during a public health crisis. The fact that they're unelected is almost irrelevant because the government that is, uh, I guess, referring to their authority they themselves were elected. Yeah, because I guess like the government is supposed to have ultimate knowledge on everything and not consult with other experts. Like I'm supposed to know everything to do with health. I'm supposed to know everything to do with like medicine and the economy and the environment and the law all at the same time and not consult. They seem to be upset with this one Toronto public health official that they say some like was the one personally responsible for sending the police after Adam Skelly. I don't know to what extent this is true. Like I've been looking at the information and it just sounds like she was a public figure acknowledging the fact that, Hey, this guy is directly flouting the, the regulations that we put in place, (laughs) which is like, he clearly was flouting those regulations. Yeah. And so it's like, they make it sound like this, this unelected official was directing the police. But it's like, if there is a law being broken, this is how it should work to some extent, you know? Yeah. 
And then, of course, uh, you get like a bunch of like obvious right wing talking points like uh, Ezra goes on and on about the reason why the health officials are coming after Adam Skelly is because uh, bureaucrats uh, who always just want to like gum up the works for small businesses and implement regulations to control them. Who are all these people? There are a hundred public health officers across Canada. Not one of them is elected. Every one of them is enjoying their fame and power. Every one of them has an interest in extending and enjoying the pandemic for fame, for power, for empire building, for settling scores, including with blue collar cooks like Adam Skelly, who just don't know their place. Which we know, of course, is stupid. <laughs> I mean, like, think about it. Think about what Ezra is trying to say here, which is like, we don't want people to wash their hands at a restaurant because God forbid a restaurant have regulations in place. <sighs> yeah. It's like it's also like we'll just determine, you know, what chefs cook their meat at, right? To make sure that it's, to, we'll just determine whether what whatever temperature we want, we deem as safe, right? Because that's kind of the same line of argumentation he's going by. Ezra wants to live in an Ayn Rand fa fantasy where every time you go in to get a steak, you're not sure if the waiter fucked it or not, and that's part of the thrill <laughs> of eating out. <laughs> Didn't you tell me you played like a game or there was a book or something where it was almost like what happens if everything was completely unregulated? Oh, it's a Bioshock is a game. Yeah. Oh, okay. And you were telling me how it gets like really crazy because it's like some of the people will like do these extremely unethical experiments and there's just, there's just no point. Like it's just to the point of like not helping anyone whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, part of what happens in Bioshock the game, which is like a spinoff of like Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged, is that these people create their own society underwater and they all start doing like crazy genetic experiments and like just manipulating themselves to the point of insanity. Because like, why not? <laughs> For freedom. Freedom, even if it hurts you. Yeah. <laughs> I want the freedom to be, to have lead in my paint. Yeah, you know, it's... I mean, I was talking to you about this earlier and you told me to save it for the podcast, but it's telling you how I went out for lunch with my mom, well, both my parents, but halfway through the lunch, my mother started going on this whole rant about how it's all about freedom and it's unbelievable that I could get fined for leaving the house if I have a virus and infecting people. She was like, that's insane. When, when have I ever had a virus and infected someone else and I got fined for that. And I was just like, your viruses that you've had before probably didn't kill the people or potentially severely damage them like, or cause disabilities. Yeah. So that's why I keep trying to tell her. And then she keeps going on with this like whole rant about how the flu kills more people. And I was like, actually it doesn't. And this year alone, the, the numbers for flu deaths is like for five years, for the one year of COVID. Yeah. So... I, I like this argument can't be you know drawn out any longer but she definitely has this whole rant about like I should have the freedom to wear a mask I should have the freedom to go do what I want I was just like no you don't you don't have the freedom to harm a lot of people because <laughs> then you take away other people's freedom you take away other freedoms for like safety and like right health and 
I almost never hear these people making arguments for why now we need absolutely no rules for like traffic laws. So it's like everyone can go any speed they want on any road and you don't have to obey which side of the road you drive on and you can drive through any lights because free. <laughs> actually, it turned, that's crazy because I actually turned into that. I mean, not that I know the Mexican statistics, but my guess is if if in Mexico they don't have laws like this, there's probably going to be like more deaths in like road fatalities and crap like that. Yeah, no, I definitely wonder. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I don't I don't understand it. I mean, these are the same people who are so law and order oriented, too, which is really annoying. They'll be the first to be like, we need to lock everyone up at the merest infraction. Yet they want the freedom to like kill people. Yeah. So the last point they make about Adam's barbecue is they complain that like, why, why is barbecuing so bad, but opening up safe injection sites or the LCBO, that's okay. Davila was obsessed with opening up these public shooting galleries for hard drug users. Your church is closed. Your business is closed. Your school back then was closed. Those aren't essential. But by God, this doctor wanted illegal drug users to have government-sponsored injection sites. That's essential. There's one obvious point to that, which is like, again, no one closed the barbecue place. It was perfectly fine for him to do online delivery and pickup. Both of those things were perfectly okay for Adam Scully to do. What was not okay for Adam Scully to do was to open up his restaurant for indoor eating where people could sit there without masks on during an outbreak in Toronto, which is why they decided to go into this lockdown phase in the first place. Yeah. No one was stopping Adam from selling his goddamn barbecue. But the reason why you don't have a safe injection site or, or, or sorry, the reason why you do have a safe injection site open is because you don't want people with mental health issues or addiction issues to end up needing hospital space because they couldn't get their alcohol fix and are having a, a reaction due to a, a lack of getting their fix, right? Yeah, And then all of a sudden are now needing a hospital bed when you already have hospitals overwhelmed by the fact that they're now filled with COVID patients. But of course, like, and part of it is like, I'm not even going to get into it, but there's the obvious fact of like, they're trying to shame people for addiction issues or even shame people who just use like normal drugs and need a safe place to do it, right? I personally don't care that people are getting high. Yeah, no, I also, <laughs> for some people, it's kind of a necessity, right? Yeah. So that's all about Adam Skelly. But now we get into, we have Andrew Lawton on the show to uh, help pontificate on all this bullshit. Who's a London, Ontario, by the way. So uh, hi, Andrew, my neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> and he argues that people are just 
or the police are sweeping up people after they have come home from the barbecue protests. So it's like all these people go to the barbecue protests and the police make note and then they come and round them up and how bad this is. Now, I haven't heard of this happening, but where was Andrew and where was Ezra when this shit was happening to the 1492 land back protesters? Yeah. Fucking nowhere. Because for them, it's completely okay for these white assholes to get mad at the fact that their barbecue place can't open. And it's totally fine for them to flaunt that law with like with no ramifications. They shouldn't have any ramifications for doing that. But God forbid 1492 gets their land taken away by a county mayor. Somehow that's le- perfectly legally fine for the police to go in there and start shooting people with rubber bullets. And I got to say too, like the people, the police standing outside of the barbecue place showed a hell of a lot more restraint than any of them did to the indigenous activists, uh, the Haudenosaunee near uh, Six Nations near Caledonia. Yeah. So Randy Hillier, we talked about this last week as well. Randy Hillier got a fine for being at an anti-mask rally. I think I screwed up and made it sound like Hillier was at the barbecue protests. He was instead, I think, in front of uh, Queens Park uh, refusing to wear a mask at this protest, and he got fined for it. And Andrew Lawton compared Randy Hillier getting this fine to the protesters being arrested by the government in Belarus. There's a very serious point here that I have to share with you and your your viewers, Ezra, and that is that opposition politician charged with protesting government. Yeah. That yeah. is a headline I have seen in Belarus. That's a headline we see in Congo. That's a headline we see in Russia. You talked about the Media Freedom Conference uh, that we attended in London a year and a bit ago. That's a headline we hear in some of the Banana Republic dictatorships that leaders talk about at that conference. Opposition par- politician charged with protesting government. This is not something that we should understate the significance of. I don't like... <laughs> Like the victim complex of these people, like comparing Randy Hillier for violating a mask law and in exposing people potentially to a virus during a global pandemic. That's the equivalent to Andrew Lawton to the the autocratic government of Belarus locking up protesters against an election they stole. How, how fucking absurd are these people? And then Ezra goes, normally it's shoe on the other foot, Andrew. Normally, it's the British or Western media saying, look at Vladimir Putin beating up his dissidents. I find this moral, morally inverting. I find myself cheering for people who are fighting the cops. I, I don't want to fight the cops, but the cops are fighting me. It's also like Lawton somewhat understands what other groups of people go through on a day-to-day. Almost, almost there, but only when it comes to white White conservative boy issues. Amazing, isn't it? (laughs) And he also, like, to, to, like, lean on that a bit more, they end by saying that the police should not be going uh, after these small anti-mask protests or anti-lockdown protests because they're much smaller than the Black Lives Matter protests. And so the police had every right to go after them, but, like, why are you coming after us? We're so small. As someone who was present during some of the organization phases for when London, Ontario itself had 10,000 people showed up. And while working with the organizers who put on that protest, we made sure that 
masks were available. We had so many people donate us masks. We had so many people donate us hand sanitizers. I walked around making sure that people, one, had water in case they got dehydrated, but also was handing out masks that entire time. You were too, Caitlin. <laughs> you know, we uh, we made sure that people got these supplies and made sure that people were trying their best to socially distance. Now, it was a bit hard with 10,000 people, but when all is said and done, I didn't see any news story citing that any cases were linked back to our protest, even though 10,000 people showed up. Yeah. When you have a bunch of people who don't believe in wearing masks generally, and hundreds of them are gathering and trying to cram themselves into a barbecue joint, my guess is there's going to be a lot more transition there, considering no one in that crowd was wearing masks. told me that you wanted to talk about vaccines. Yeah, I guess for our proactive segment, instead of, I guess, talking about stuff that's more active in terms of activism. I think getting vaccinated is pretty active. Yeah. <laughs> I guess instead, we will tell you guys to go get the vaccine when it comes out, which I think for Canada is supposed to be mid-January from what I read, but the UK today just vaccinated their first person. Nice. So that's, that's been started. And I think that's something to look forward to because I am looking forward to getting out of my apartment. And to me, that is proactive enough. Unlike Ezra or your mom, who seems to be worried about uh, what these vaccines could be doing to us. I was just going to say, I still think it's important to that the, Community involved in making this vaccine makes it damn clear that it is safe, is all that I'm saying. Yeah. And I mean, don't listen to right wing conspiracy theories that think um, the vaccine is going to put uh, Bill Gates tracking chip in you. <laughs> yes. Or be registered in your app where they won't they won't let you into things anymore if you, you don't have the vaccine or like whatever. Yeah, the best part of this all is your phone already does that. That's what that what that's what baffles me about these people, these ideas. Like they're talking about this tracking chip coming into you, and, and the government's going to be watching. He's like, they already have the technology to do that. Why do they need a tracking chip? Yeah. <laughs> Why? What makes you or you? They don't need to do that. You already do that with your phone. And you agree to it. You agree to it every time you download an app. It literally tracks your location, your data, for corporations to sell back to other corporations and profit basically off your free labor. That's what—that's the part that gets me. And if they really wanted to stop you, why are they all letting you post this shit constantly? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Or it's even like... <laughs> Like, just think about how many sites we use even just to, like, do this podcast and programs where the government could definitely track everything that we're doing and saying if they really want to, like, silence us and control us yeah. and stuff. Like, <laughs> they technically would have the technology to be able to go do that right this instance if, if they wanted to. 
that's what get, that's what kills me. It's like they already have the technology. I'm not even claiming whether they do or they don't. I'm just saying that they have the technology to be able to do that. So what is a fucking tracking? Like I don't even know how they're gonna build this. Like what a liquid tracker that's gonna go into you? Yeah, I've I've no clue. I mean, like I don't even think it makes sense to have a microchip at that scale, or whether it would be functional based on current technology. I think I've read pieces showing that it's not even possible to technically do it in a vaccine yet. I mean, eventually it might be like, depending on like how you get the size of microchips to shrink smaller and smaller. But the point is, is like, as you said, we all carry phones. If you're so worried about the vaccine because of a fucking microchip, get rid of your goddamn phone. Disconnect from the internet completely (laughs) because there's microchips all around you, you know. Or any smart technology you have. Your TV, your dishwasher. Some people's dishwashers now have fucking smart technology in it. I was just going to say to bring it back to the initial talk about vaccines and this being in our proactive segment is that I actually think that vaccination itself is a very community-oriented treatment, right? Like the idea of like building up a herd immunity and knowing that you're like taking something that is a minor inconvenience often where like even like getting the needle, it hurts, right? But taking that on, or even in the case of a flu vaccine, where it might cause you a bit of a fever to get the the flu shot, getting that done so that you protect your community from future harm is in my, in my estimation, a very community oriented and very socialist activity. And so, yes, if this thing is safe and if the rec, the, uh, requisite authorities and uh, experts give us enough information to indicate that this thing is safe and it's going to protect people, then yes, get the vaccine, help your community, be a good citizen. And so that's all I have to say on that point. I don't have anything to add. Great. (laughs) If you support and enjoy what you have heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we are doing, you can also find us on Twitter at Imperial News with a Z. We have a private Facebook group called Imperial News. We also have a Discord set up, and we'll be doing Twitch streams every Friday at 8 p.m. You can find all the links to our social media stuff in the show notes. Lastly, you can email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at striatum.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening, and remember, if the left has a victim complex, the Christian right has a victim master plan. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields.